0: Hello, everybody. We're glad you're with us as we continue in our high-tech Bible study of of uh, the New Testament. And um, now they're going to wonder, if you're watching, I say high-tech because I'll, I tell them to get it started and a voice comes yelling out of the back. You're on. Not a light or anything. It's, anyway, uh, we're working through the New Testament, a chapter of time. Currently, we're working through the book of Luke. And today we'll be talking about Luke chapter 4. Um, we've already in this uh, study, I think we're up to 70 weeks or 70 some weeks now. Uh, we've we've looked through the book of Matthew. We've worked through the book of Mark a chapter at a time. We jumped over Luke. We went and did the book of John and we finished that. Now we move back to Luke and then we're going to do Luke and Acts together and um, And and just where we're at, sort of so far, we've talked about the fact that both these, both Luke and Acts, are written by a historian, a researcher named Luke, who was very detailed in the way that he recorded things. And he went and researched and recorded um, the life and the events of Jesus in the book of Luke. And then in the book of Acts, he does that same thing for us in the early church. And he... He writes as one who's around then, so he has access to eyewitnesses and uh, to record what they have to say and uh, to get them down for us. So um, this, this gives us a, a lot of insight into what's happening. And Luke is, is much more like Matthew and Mark than it is like John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar in their presentation. Uh, John was a little bit different in the way he presented things and, and had a little different take on it. Luke, primarily written to Gentiles. Uh, one in particular, a believer named Theophilus, which means lover of God, and yet ultimately to all those who would love God, uh, the book of Luke is written. He uh, deals with often uh, the question, what do I need to do to be saved? And uh, he he then helps to see what that looks like. And uh, And so we, we just get a lot of detail, uh, a lot of fascinating stuff about the life and ministry of Jesus as we look through. Book of Luke. And so today uh, we're in chapter 4. There's 44 verses that I'm going to read. You can read along there in your notes. You can open your Bibles and read along. However, you would like to uh, follow along with us. But let's uh, jump into Luke here. Luke chapter 4. And then we'll talk about it for a few minutes and then we'll pray. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 44. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling it. He found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. And Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth. He continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right, a lot of amazing stuff in Luke 4. Um, but obviously, for time's sake, we'll we'll center on a few things that I think we really need to talk about from um, these verses. In the first 13 verses, we, we see the temptation of Jesus. Fresh from his baptism, he's led into the desert, and there he's tempted by the devil. And uh, he fasts while he's out there for 40 days does Jesus, and, and at the end of this fast, the enemy comes and um, hits him with a series of temptations. For each temptation that comes, Jesus relies on the truth of Scripture as his authority for making decisions. Now, this is one of the reasons why it's so important for us today as believers to know what the Bible says. And why we've been talking about memorizing scripture and that that it should be one of our normal spiritual disciplines. See, if if you don't know the book, you don't have a good basis for making decisions. And and so it's it's in understanding what's in here that helps us to know how to do the next right thing, which is something that we say we value. So we need to know what that looks like and how to make those decisions. Now, you know, fortunately we have the Holy Spirit who helps us and leads us and guides us and counsels us and teaches us. But but we need to, in our part, do our best to understand and study and read the Scripture. And and one of the reasons we've talked about memorizing Scripture is that in certain situations, when the Holy Spirit can quicken that to you because you know it, it's extremely helpful in knowing the right thing. It's also very important because one of the things that we find out in this chunk of Scripture is that, that Jesus isn't the only one that knows Scripture. We also find out that the enemy knows Scripture. And and if you think about it, that's a pretty amazing thing. Um, because the, the the battle we're in, the enemy we face... Also knows the scripture. But now what he does is he twists it a little. And that's all it takes to take truth and make it not truth. You just got to twist it a little bit. You, and, and the thing is, it still sounds like truth, but it's not truth anymore. Um, and, and they call that today, they have a nice term for this, like putting a spin on things. Well, we we'll just spin that a little bit. But, but see, a little twist keeps it from being the truth. Sounds like the truth, but it's not. What sort of examples do we have? Well, there's, there's the one r- really good example uh, in these particular set of verses is um, when the enemy tries to tell Jesus that if he really is indeed the Son of God, he ought to be able to hop off the top of the temple and not worry about it because the Scripture says that nothing's going to happen to him. Let me, I'll, I'll read you the Scripture. It's Psalm 91, 11, and 12. This is what the enemy's quoting. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's chapter and verse of what the enemy says to Jesus to tell him why he ought to jump off the temple. And how does how is that twisted? Because he quotes exactly from scripture. Here's the twist. He doesn't throw in verse 10. See, and and, and scripture is true in context. We talk a lot about context here. You have to read the stuff in context to get the full meaning. If you went back and read Psalm 91.10, what you would find out is this. It says, um, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. And from there it goes, for he'll command his angels concerning you. The verse makes it clear that God's protection is for events that befall his people, not as an excuse to go out and seek such dangers there's a big difference you you get it that you get the difference the 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 promise that the enemy quotes is that that if something happens to him he's going to be there for him god god's got him covered it doesn't say that he can go out and do whatever he wants and expect the same coverage but see that's a that's a little tiny twist on the truth but it's enough to make it no longer true and and see this is the some of the problem of why we have to uh, do our part to understand the best that we can scripture and, and allow the Spirit of God to illuminate it to us as we go. Um, and so, so we can see that we have a very real enemy who also knows the book and likes to twist it to, to get us in trouble. And a lot of stuff that comes at us, um, is, is twisted truth. But it sounds good enough that if we're not really aware, and think about it in context, and ask God to really show us if it's true or not. We can we can get in trouble pretty quick, it's because there's a lot of things that sound good. Doesn't mean that they're true. And and that's what we have to look at. Our, our culture is good. The culture also uh, twists the truth all the time, and so it comes at us that way. And it sounds sort of good, but it's it's not. Uh, what we need to be. So we need to be aware of what the truth of God says and, and that's what we need to follow in our lives. Now another thing uh, in, in this passage that, that is revealed for us is that the enemy tends to use the same sort of tricks in the way that he tempts uh, us and the way that he tempted Jesus is very similar to the way that he uh, brought the fall of the world about in the temptation of Adam and Eve. He used the same sort of tricks. And, and why that's important for us to know is if we get that these are the tricks of the enemy, hopefully we can pick up on them before we give in to temptation. And um, in First John, John spells them out for us. In First John 2.16, you can write this down because I, I didn't think I put it in the notes. And it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father... What is is of the world. Those three things are the temptations that the enemy uses. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he did it with Jesus who passes the test. He did it with Adam who failed the test. And he does it with us who have also all failed the test but need to grow in the opportunity as temptation continues to come. Um, what did that look like? The, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. In, in the case of Jesus the lust of the flesh was uh, Jesus was hungry after 40 days and the enemy said to him turn these stones to become bread you're hungry get yourself something to eat appealing to his his flesh Jesus didn't do it the lust of the eyes he took him and showed him everything he said you worship me you can have it all now and and it, it, the enemy will often offer you a shortcut to uh, where you need to go that's not God's shortcut. See, all these things that the enemy showed Jesus were about to, and would come under his authority, but it would happen through the cross. Um, the enemy was trying to circumvent the whole deal and just toss it, but, but it would have never, Jesus, that wasn't Jesus' ministry, was it? His ministry was to come and to sacrifice for us, that we might have life, and it meant that he had to endure the cross. And so uh, but there was the, the the lust of the eyes factor and the and the pride of life was was, you know, go ahead and throw yourself down. Don't worry about it. You're going to be you can do it. You know, you're the son of God, which is why Jesus responded. We're not supposed to test God. Uh, don't put God to the test. It's it's the, the whole pride thing uh, that that gets so many of us now. So Jesus passes those. Look at the same temptations with Adam and Eve. The lust of the flesh. If you go back and read Genesis 3, you find out that it says that the, the, the apple was good for food. That, that appealed to their flesh. The lust of the eyes, it actually says that the, the, the fruit, you know, it was an apple, was pleasing to the eyes. And the pride of life that got Adam and Eve, you will be like God. You'll be like God. Well, they, and they didn't pass the test, did they? Adam failed the test. Jesus passed the test. Jesus is often called the second Adam, uh, in, referred to in Scripture. Uh, he goes and, given the exact same opportunity that was presented at the beginning creation, Jesus passed the test, which is good news for us, and then goes and gives the, the, the perfect offering to pay that we might have life. What does that look like for us, those temptations? The lust of the flesh. Um, in our culture today, the lust of the flesh is appealed to by, if it feels good, do it. And we will use that as an excuse culturally to do just about anything. Um it doesn't matter what the Bible said, it doesn't matter about anything. That's the mantra. That that is the temptation of the enemy, it's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes, I would say, is is presented to us in, in today by the materialism that um we're we're bombarded with and particularly by the way the advertisers use it to keep us unhappy with what we have. And that life doesn't work unless you have this, and this, and this, and this. And they make you feel like somehow you're missing something without those things. And, and, and that's the lust of the eyes that, that we often fall into. And when we fall into it in, in temptation, we end up with stuff we don't really need. It's money that we don't really have, and it becomes this vicious cycle. The pride of life, uh, I would say the, the sort of theme for that is, I did it my way. And again, very cultural, you know, we just do it, we're going to do it, make it happen, we're number one. All those things get us in trouble. So, how does that help you? If it's, if it's coming at you and appealing to your flesh in ways that it shouldn't, don't do it. If it's appealing to your eyes in ways way that you shouldn't, you, and you're getting, you know, into, in, trapped again, don't do it. And that whole thing about doing it your way, just, your way is almost never the right way. It's, the only time your way is the right way is when it happens to be God's way too. And, uh, and that's what we're shooting for in life. But otherwise, so be aware of the traps, the tricks, the temptations are the same. The, they present to you the same. The enemy doesn't have to come up with any more. Those three work in every case but Jesus's. He gets everybody with one of those all the time. And for most of us, he gets us with all of them. And we keep buying into it. And yet our defense, the antidote, is the Scripture. When we can begin to test things against the Word, when we can begin to say, yeah, I don't, I don't think, even though everybody else has that or does that or is doing that, it's not what the Bible says. And, and I'm, if i got to make a choice between what the Bible says and what the world says... I'm going to go with the Bible. And if for for no other reason, you know how quickly the culture changes its mind? It's rapid. Rapidly. We're in this weird place now where it calls bad good and good bad. There's all sorts of stuff and you go, I can't believe that's happening, but it happens. Um, When given the option of what you're going to choose, choose the book. It doesn't change. It's solid. It stays the same. You might not always like it or agree with it. It's really not the issue. It stays the same. Good advice. So we we choose his word. And his word will keep us doing the right thing, which keeps us from falling into temptation. And it's where we begin to find life. And, of course, remember, because we are who we are, we will sometimes make the wrong choice. We'll go against the word of God. and, And then it won't work out well. And fortunately, we can always go back to God and say, God, I blew it again. Will you forgive me? Help me to make the next right choice. So that's the first part of it. In verses 14 through 30, another thing happens. um, Jesus uh, has has begun his ministry now, and and so uh, on on his journey, he heads back to Nazareth, his hometown. Not a big hometown. A couple thousand people maybe. Most everybody would know him uh, when he comes back. And he goes to church, synagogue, whatever you want to call it, but that's what he was doing, as he would do. Uh, And... uh, Uh, while he's there they hand him the the scroll of the prophet isaiah and jesus rolls it open and he reads from isaiah 61 1 and 2 that's what he reads in those verses if you want to go and look at it and then um, jesus does his neat thing Uh, he's so he stood up to read and then he sits down to teach them it's one of my favorite verses I don't have to explain that. And then, here's another thing he gets, that Luke develops. See, Jesus has already demonstrated that he'll use the word to go after the enemy, and all of his contemporaries would have said that was good, the contemporary rabbis. However, now he takes the word and he sort of stands it up against the traditions. Other religious leaders. And he begins to point out that they're not living according to the word. They're living according to their rules and regulations. And and that's what begins to turn the tide for him there in his hometown. Because he's saying, you know, you've heard good things about me. You know me. And yet, what you're, all you're really looking for in me is to go and do the stuff I've been doing. And yet, what I've got to tell you is that even if I sort of were to do those things, you still wouldn't see it. I'd still just you know, uh, be the carpenter's son and you'd miss the point. And, and he's making a bigger illustration because the he's he's sort of, when he comes to Israel in general, God is coming to his chosen people and they're going to refuse to receive him because he's not coming in the right package. And the illustration that he makes and talks about how, you know, Elijah went to uh, this one um, place in Sidon and then of all the people that had leprosy only the name in the Syrian were healed he's making a reference to the fact that that oftentimes because of the people's hardened hearts towards God and they're sticking to rules and regulations but missing the heart of God they missed out on the miracles of God and they went to and were received by people outside of the people of God and the same thing's going to happen again in that the the big spring of the church remember luke is writing the gentiles now uh, is it's it happens for the gentiles so in both those occasions in those verses um, about the widow's son and, and about the Naaman, those were non-jewish um, people obviously the church is, is started by a group of jewish disciples but it's by and large rejected by the people of israel to whom god came and and that's sort of the 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 big sticking point there they they reject him as uh, as being who he said he is and they don't receive him as messiah they like all the stuff that he does and and they like that part of it but they don't like this whole thing that sort of is turning their deal upside down and and ultimately they try and kill him and it starts early in the book of luke uh, there he is in his hometown now think about it this is his hometown he's in nazareth they don't like what he has to say and so they they hustle him out of the church and off to the edge of the cliff where their deal is they're going to toss him off the cliff. Now that that's a tough church. <laughs> I mean I get asking him to leave, but that's not enough. They want to kill him. And this 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 was actually the um uh, in in When you read historically, one of the ways that they would carry out stoning of people rather than just standing around, like you most of the time see in the movie, tossing rocks at somebody, they would throw them off a cliff first and sort of get the process rolling, and then they would throw from the cliff big rocks down and try and kill them that way. Um, Again, tough church. (laughs) I wouldn't want to preach there. (laughs) If they don't like what they got to say, you're going to the cliff. So, uh, so he, he goes out there with them for a ways, but then at some point he just turns around and walks out. There's nothing they can do about it. Um, and you see that in Scripture all the time. And one of the reasons it's important to know that, Jesus went to the cross on his timing and on his say-so. Nobody took him there without him letting them. Because he always did this, and we've seen that a lot in Scripture. If it wasn't his time, he just would walk out of it. There was nothing they could do. And so... Uh, that's what happens there. And then in verses 31 through 37, uh, obviously not being well received in Nazareth, uh, he he goes to Capernaum and he attends church there, uh, the synagogue there. Uh, this time the crowd receives him, but there's a demon uh, possessed person in the crowd, and the demon starts a ruckus. And uh, Jesus uh, steps into that and tells the demon he's got to let the man go, and the demon flees, and the crowd's amazed because you know it's not the it's the, the way that he's able to take authority over this manifestation of evil and the enemy. And, and they're amazed at his teaching because he teaches with authority. What does that mean? Well, well they've been taught to their whole lives by religious leaders, but the, the teaching hasn't had any authority behind it. It hasn't changed anything. It hasn't changed them. When Jesus teaches, the teaching in the word of Jesus changes things. And that's the difference. It changes people, it changes lives. See that's what that's why when when we come to Christ, you know one of the things I always say that the the most important thing that, that we know that the Lord is at work is that people are being changed. Because that's the power of the word of God. And if people aren't being changed, something is missing. And the the whole the people had gone into this stale thing, the people of God, because the leaders had made it all about rules and regulations, there was no relationship. There were no lives being changed. Jesus comes and begins to teach. And lives everywhere are changed. People are healed. People are set free. People are changed. And, and, and the, the, the whole comment is, what is this teaching? He teaches with authority. Because he's teaching the truth. He's teaching the Word of God. And, and the words of Jesus are life-changing. That's one of the huge things you need to know. And in, in, in one of the reasons we know that the book is true and that, that our relationship with Christ is true it is it's not just that he was a good teacher. He taught with authority because he, he was able to bring life and to bring change into people's lives, and he still is. You are examples of the life-changing power of the words of Jesus Christ and the Word of God in your life. And then... Uh, In those last few verses, uh, it says that Jesus goes from synagogue to synagogue, preaching the good news of the kingdom and demonstrating his authority by healing the sick and casting out demons. He he demonstrates the power of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is here, the kingdom is coming. We'll talk about that more, but he's letting people know the kingdom of God is here. It's time to take notice, to turn their lives to him. And that pretty much covers the highlights of Luke chapter 4. So, if you're watching by video, thank you for doing that. If you're up in Williston, God bless you guys. They'll pray for you up there. We're going to pray here. And uh, so if you have prayer requests here, guys, why don't you get to pass them up to me? And is there anybody upstairs that can turn off the video? I'm getting no response, so I'm assuming that, Barry, you're going to handle that for me. Thank you.